listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you again for another special episode, another interview, and our trilogy completion in some ways. Today it's kind of odd. Whenever we get a bit of a run on interviews, we somehow always seem to complete our trilogy of shows that we covered in the very beginning of the Oz Network. Of course, those original shows that we covered, Third Watch, Lost, and Nip Tuck. We've already heard in the last couple of weeks from an actress who was on Nip Tuck, an actress who was on Third Watch, and today it is all about an actor who was on Lost, the one, the only, Mr. Kevin Ty. Now, Kevin played Locke's father, Anthony Cooper, among many other names that he, of course, had in the show. And one of the most memorable villains in the entire run of Lost. And he's never really done an interview before about Lost. I discovered this throughout this chat, as you will hear, that it's not a show that he's ever really talked about, which is kind of interesting to hear that, given how memorable the character was in Lost and how memorable of an actor Kevin Ty is. So this is a almost an exclusive, you could say, here on the Oz Network to have Kevin chat about his time on the show. And Kevin goes into everything here about working with all the actors on the show, about kind of getting into the zone of the character of Anthony Cooper and talking about just how kind of fun it is to get killed off in the manner that he got killed off in. And outside of that, we talk about some other great moments from his career in a very fun, in-depth chat here. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to hand myself over to myself as I speak with the one, the only, Mr. Kevin Ty. It is a massive pleasure to be able to welcome our next guest here to the Oz Network, an esteemed career, a legend of the screen, and you probably best know him on this show when we talk about him on the Oz Network from a little show called Lost, where he played a little character called Anthony Cooper. Well, that was at least one of his presumed names. He had many different names on the show. Locke's dad potentially is the best way to introduce him. I do, of course, speak of the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Kevin Ty, and he's with me now. Kevin, welcome to the Oz Network. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. Nice to join you. It is absolute uh, honour to have you joining us here today because I actually, in the lead-up to this interview, was sort of tracking down, looking at a few sort of interviews and things you'd talked about in the past, and I couldn't really see much that you would, at least on the internet, uh, the beautiful internet we love, talked much about Lost. I, I don't know if this is a show that often people talk to you about or maybe you've never really done an interview about Lost before. I mean, this is obviously part of your career, but uh, maybe this is a show you haven't really talked a lot about uh, outside of when you were filming it. Uh, no, I haven't. And I, I don't have – there is not too much cause to – I'm somewhat of a private person, so I don't, I don't – you know, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not out there in the, uh, the sphere where everyone is communicating. That may be why. But no one's ever, uh, uh, although lots of people have been interested in Lost and I get lots of recognition from it, uh, this will be the first professional interview I've had. Well, there you go. uh, I'm honoured to be that person to be able to uh, conduct this today because you mentioned obviously people would recognise you from Lost. I mean, you've had such an an amazing career that I'm sure you get recognised from a variety of, of different roles. But, I mean, was Lost a show when you first got involved in it. I mean, it was obviously very fresh. You sort of came in late in the first season. Had you watched it? Were you familiar of the impact of it at the moment? I mean, do you remember sort of how you got involved in the show? Well, um, I I had gone to college with one of the producers on the show, Jack Bender. Uh, so I knew Jack. And um, I was 
working a lot. I was doing uh, actually at the time that we we began, I was doing lots of coming off of a stage show and starting another one. Um, so uh, I at first I didn't know anything about it, and I was actually going to pass on it. And uh, then he called again, you know, uh, um, because I wasn't aware that he was producing it, uh, my friend. And uh, so I said, well, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I mean, I love the bottom line is I love Hawaii. So any excuse to get over there is great. Much yeah. less to be able to, to work there. So it, uh, it and it ended up being such a pleasure to be part of. So. There you go. Well, that's a bonus, of course, of Lost is, yeah, you get sort of a bit of a vacation across to Hawaii. So, you know, any any excuse, as you said, to be able to to do that. But did you then, how did you get involved in kind of, I guess, uh, preparing for it? Did you sort of watch some of the episodes? Are you the type of person that likes to make your own judgment about a character without getting too much background information from watching old episodes? I mean, how do you get into that zone of Anthony Cooper before your first episode? Well, I, I don't, as a rule, watch many television shows. And, and uh, mostly what I watch are films and, and news and, you know, adventure things, uh, uh, nature shows. Um, um, so I didn't know anything about it when the call first came in. And that's why I was going to pass on it. I had no, I, you know, I hadn't heard of it. So uh, when I heard what it was, then, uh, as I usually do, I go back and look not only at, you know, some of the shows, but uh, get online and see some of the actors and where they've studied and who they are. And then if I definitely, you know, once I sign up, then, then I'm just scrounging for as much information as I can get. On this show, you don't, you didn't have, you know, it wasn't like you knew in advance what was going to happen. They were kind of like, just flying along, you know, and, and, and grabbing ideas. I'm sure they had a, a whole matrix plan, but I didn't get to see that. I just saw the current episode with a kind of a brief, very brief description of who that character might be. And then just forged back through time to try to lock into as many shows as I could and to try to figure out how that, you know, works in terms of that moment that I'm coming into the show, what was before and what, could possibly come after. <laughs> what was there much of the layers of the character as well that kind of drew you to it? Because I mean, clearly you, you played numerous different roles across your career. Some of them sort of fall into the same category, but I, I'm not sure if you'd ever really played a, a con man before, I guess, when, when you signed up to lost. No, there's um, there was an excellence in the writing. So, uh, first of all, uh, there was always a presence of depth for, for the character that I had. And I judge from many of the uh, shows I saw that a lot of the actors and a lot of the you know the the, the co-stars of the show felt the same way. But uh, I liked the writing, and I liked the depth of the writing, and I liked uh, as far as the con man. When you're a con man, or at least my con man is is someone who not only has many many identities, but isn't necessarily firmly. Identity has any self self identity, um, and so it was easy to go from a con man to almost a satanic character. Uh, so that when we get to the brig later on, uh, you know, as much as that kind of you know, I might have felt to other people like you know, this is a huge switch. How in the hell did I get here? I, I was just able to kind of go with it. 
because I had, I had, I, I put, I put in, you know, I wanted to put in the father thing. I wanted to definitely work with that, the father and son relationship, which I knew something of. And, uh, with my own father, I had no idea really who he was. He was, I wouldn't, wouldn't say a con man, but close to it. So I had some familiarity with, uh, with that, uh, I'm trying to think there's a, there's a wonderful book, uh, Duke, called Duke of Deception, uh, that was about a, a father and son relationship where the, uh, the, the the father just completely lied to this boy. You know, I mean, he he, he shared a life that wasn't his at all, and and uh, uh, so I was attuned to that mythology or that that coordination of personalities already. And then when I saw it on the page and then could visualize it, I thought, oh, this could be fun. And I can imagine it was fun because this is the the beauty of the of the character of Anthony Cooper is that you sort of mentioned that satanic level that basically he turns out to be so many different layers involved with this and I, I can imagine working with someone like Terry O'Quinn would really add to that. Were you familiar with Terry beforehand? Had you worked with him before Lost? I had, and I was very impressed by him. I mean, the only thing I felt badly about is he had to don a wig when we <laughs> did the flag. <laughs> you know, which which uh, couldn't you know I, I I know isn't much fun you know uh, <laughs> so that was the only kind of minus I'm afraid I brought to the you know to the show but uh, yeah I he was so easy to work with and you know just a very fine actor and a very fine human being I can imagine too it's it's interesting given that you actually weren't that much older than Terry uh, filming it as well and yet you're you're playing his father so I mean does does he have to play younger do you have to play older I mean how, how does that work as an actor trying to get into that zone where you've got this father son relationship where in real life you're not really that uh, different in age Well I did play uh, I played a little older and he did play a little younger not not much you couldn't he particularly he couldn't go a little too younger I mean but he did just an inflection, and, and I think it was enough to tell the audience that uh, it, you know, it, it, it may not look like the usual father-son relationship. But I didn't. I had no problem emotionally being his father, and I don't think he had any problem emotionally being my son when we were <laughs> filming it. It's, it's strange now that I'm thinking of it. I mean, I never felt, uh, I never felt like we were miscast, and and. Actually, as it ended up, um, I may not be his father. Mm. So, I mean, there was that. I mean, when I saw that page come along, you know, when I started to, I just thought, my gosh, this is okay. Uh, We can can just go on and on with this. Yeah. Um, Endless uh, echoes. And uh, so, but I, you know, I hadn't thought about that, that when we were actually filming, uh, that I felt like his father and he, I, I sure felt like my son, even though we were the age discrepancy wasn't a, wasn't a factor. It's well, it doesn't, I think it's until you look it up, you don't actually realize that because on screen it's, it's not noticeable. It definitely isn't. And it's, it's kind of interesting the, the magic of television, the magic of, you know, Hollywood where they can do these sort of things because there's, there's numerous cases, of course, throughout movies and TV where if you actually look up the age gaps of parents and their children, often the actors, uh, sometimes even it's the other way around. Sometimes the child is actually older than the uh, the, the parent in, in some very rare cases. Well, too, and coming back to the father-son relationship, uh, the, the it's so powerful, the the 
the power that the father has over the son, um, that can that has no age limitation. Mm. It, it it enters into a place that's that's somewhat mythological. I I think that there's a lot of mythology in this in this show. Um, that's my own, you know. I, I don't know that. Yeah, I I would I would say there's and there's little wonderful things like you know Huckleberry Finn. You know, I, I mean, I could see this man uh, as as devilish as he might appear, as dark as he might appear, uh, you know, being somewhat of a wastrel you know, as a young man. And, you know, like Tom Sawyer p- painting the uh, fence, you know, getting somebody to help him. And like Huckleberry Finn, the dark father, you know, uh, when I saw that, you know, I kind of, oh, yeah, I'm on the right track because... <laughs> Very much, the Huckleberry's his his dad was the first dark person I ever I came across in my you know in my reading, and it came out of Tom Sawyer. Even when I to read the Huck Finn, and Huck Finn was a lot darker than what I was prepared for. But gee, what a journey! That must then add something more as an actor that you can kind of then relate to material that have has influenced you at some point in your life and. It's obviously a great reveal when we kind of find out this big connection to you and the character of Sawyer, of course, in the show. So, I mean, that that must be something, as you said, that you read that and go, wow, okay, this is, I was right to take this role. This is kind of, you know, so appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. And I come from a background, I, where part of one of my coaches, I had three really fine coaches, uh, Jeff Corey and Bobby Lewis and Stella Adler and Stella had a wonderful, and she's part of that group theater, part of that Stanislavski Russian, you know, that you see in, uh, oh, you know, Brando and James Dean and Monty Clifton, those actors sort of had that, that, that learning or that. Anyway, she taught a class on just getting inside of characters of, of how you, you know, work on Chekhov or you work on Ibsen or whatever that might be. And you, you just go right in there. You you find out. You choreograph your entire life. You, you, you each year. How when you know when we when was I born? What was going on during the time that I was born? Uh, was I in the war? You know where, where was I in the war? Uh, how many times was I married? How, what happened to my wife? You, know, I, you just you go you you chew up all this information. So in any given moment, it's defined. You, it's defined where you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do because it's truthful. You know, I mean, that's really what you're after is to, is to tell the truth. I mean, as an actor, it's, you know, art is a lie that discovers truth. That old Picasso quote, but interesting. Which I can imagine back to your point where you said you would get a script and not often know a lot of the story. And we've talked to several actors from Lost who have backed that up too. It's kind of an interesting way of doing it. Does that, then with everything you were just saying, make it tricky to really get into that character's head if you kind of don't know a lot about them that you may on another show because a lot of loss was the mystery, so they clearly wanted to keep that, even to the actors, very mysterious. But I found that at, that each show I did, uh, you know, I did six of them um, where I performed in them and, and six seasons, and, and each time that my, the character was on or – he was talked about uh, was just not only more that I learned, but it broadened what I had already done in a way. 
uh, because you build on what you've done, you know, your performance and, 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 you know, you're leading them towards some sort of climax. And, uh, that's that's where it works. You don't necessarily have to have all the information to have enough information, particularly if it's information that has some depth to it, to really, you know, uh, I want to say mixing things up on screen so that people feel what you're what you're doing. You know, I mean, you're not exactly you're not telling them it's uh, it, it's the old idea of, you know, you hear this in writing a lot uh, when, you know, don't don't. Uh, don't tell me, show me. You know? um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great point uh, to make with that. Did any of that make sense? I know, absolutely. <laughs> I think and it's, it's, it was fascinating to hear that because I can just imagine as an actor, though, that when you get these opportunities in, in several different shows and movies, and, and that's what is so fantastic about your profession is that there are so many different ways and means of doing what you do and then you know loss is going to challenge you differently to being in emergency and then you know when you're in a guest role and more in order you know completely different but the beauty about lost is is the layers and you mentioned the mystery and all that kind of stuff and that intrigue with everything and your storyline particularly with Locke, just i mean every time you came on screen there was something you knew that was going to happen that basically no one thought about i think and the beauty about your storyline, it, it ultimately came down to you getting killed by Sawyer on the island. We had this whole plot line about Sawyer being a con man. He's being conned basically by a con man. We know your character's a con man, but yet when it is revealed that you're the con man that basically killed his parents, we had no clue. Like it was just, it was this thing right in front of us, but for somehow we didn't know. And that's somehow the beauty of Lost. And that can, I imagine, relate to everything you were just saying about all that type of acting and everything. If, if what I just said makes sense. Uh huh. Well, you're you're we're kind of as audience and, and actor partaking in the same mystery. Yeah, yeah. Which uh-huh. must just make it fun. I mean, I don't know. Like, if you ever get that experience much in in your career, Kevin. Like, I mean, had you experienced that? before in any of your other roles where you were kind of taken along the ride with the mystery or was it a lot more procedural before you appeared in Lost? Uh, the, the best work always was that way. I always thought that the acting that really, you know, that, that it was really nailed acting to me was, Cass- was Cassavetes, John's films. John, I never knew him, but uh, Faces and Husbands and all of those shows where you're you're dealing in time with with depth and things that uh, it, it's it's filling the screen. You know, there, there's even though it's dark, there's 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 a truth about the moment that's going on. And the writing was such in this that you 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 felt that you felt that in moments that when you were working on this particular show with these particular writers and the produ- production that that. Uh, uh, you weren't. You were kind of flying by the seat of your pants. You weren't always sure. There wasn't necessarily the correct way of doing it. There was just your way of doing it, uh, which which would work if it was truthful. Um, anyway, I, 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 I when I did uh, Mate One, a John Sales film, the uh, I certainly felt the ambience of where we were. On that on that film, the that we were filmed it in West Virginia, in a coal mining town, and that's 
precisely that's where we stayed was in this town and my god the the power that came out of that out of those people and uh that part of the country you you couldn't help but be be imbued with you know with real depth of feeling you know that gave you so much to and and the island of hawaii has that same kind of thing i must say that too that filming there it's not just a vacation spot it's there's, you know, I did a lot of trailing, a lot of, up, I did a lot of hiking when I wasn't working. And there's a lot of wonderful trails up there. And boy, it's powerful, powerful part of the world. As you can see, it's volcanic. And, you know, uh, I think it, it had a sizable impact probably on, the, on, the, on that show. And I can imagine too that it's a, it's a lot better to than just you know going to a, a studio in in Hollywood somewhere. You're you know you're out and about, and as we said at the beginning, immersing yourself in uh in that part and getting a bit of a vacation at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Which always makes it a little bit more fun. It's it's interesting too with the character that of all the evil characters on Lost, they genuinely always kind of seem to be somewhat of a redemption of one of the characters. You know, obviously, famously Benjamin Linus, Michael Emerson's character, of course, you know, you hated him, but there were so many moments where you kind of felt a bit bad for him, even though he's very evil. Got to say, Anthony Cooper maybe was one of, if not the only character on Lost that I think ultimately no one ever liked at any point. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if you kind of thought that way. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but uh, you know that that again in itself is a, is a unique character on the show. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's an interesting story. When we were doing the uh, episode where I I push him out the window, uh, uh, Jack Bender was directing that. I, in all honesty, because this shows you where I was was with with this character. I said, "Is there any way that I could kind of rush at him just to try to shake him, shake him something loose?" And I accidentally, accidentally, he goes out the window, <laughs> and Jack just started laughing at me, and he went, "No, you have to push him out." <laughs> That's the story. But but what that tells you is I'm trying in every way to give this guy heart. I mean, in every possible scene, you know, and it is interesting. It was, a, it, I don't want to say it's an uphill battle because I think it's what made the character kind of interesting, but I'm, I'm rationalizing as an actor and also as the character in a certain way, everything I do, it isn't all bad. You know, life is like this. It has its ups, its downs, you know, um, I, I I do look for that whenever I'm playing heavies. I you know I mean which you you do you if you you're going to be bleak you want to look for places where there's some humor where you can have some fun where it, the character isn't all dark and whether that he has a certain amount of heart. I would hope that, that there's there was a little of that in there. Uh, each with each you know even though he was you know I mean for instance when I when I take his kidney and I you know I was going through the scripts again. Uh, looking at them, you know, getting ready to prepare for, for this interview. And uh, it, I, I found it so interesting that he'd do these heinous things and then he would apologize. And his son would believe him. His son was not sure, but he would believe him, you know. And I think because in that moment, I am sorry. I am sorry that it caused so much trouble. I'm not sorry that I have the kidney. I'm not sorry that you gave it to me. I'm sorry that you're causing me a bit of a angst here but uh, you know i'm finding i want finding places where i could apologize and move on to the next place you know 
which is fascinating. And it's it's interesting to hear that kind of wanting to give him a bit of heart when he's pushing Locke out the window. That would have made that very uh, different. I mean, you, you sort of you got a little bit of a lighter side in the flash sideways in the final season, but, I mean, you know, you had a better relationship with Locke, but you still kind of conned Sawyer's parents. So, I mean, you were, instead of being 99.9% evil, maybe like 90% evil. I don't know if that works. <laughs> but I didn't, that was all added, the uh, the conning the parents, Sawyer's parents. That that came on, that, that came on in hell. You know, that came on in a place where uh, um, anything could happen. Yeah. You know, um, that was the only difference there. I mean, I, I transferred. I was, I was, you know, they had me on, a, on the rails. They had me, they were, you know, I, I was being shipped down to whoever I needed to be at. And, you know, and uh, uh, it just happened that it happened that it was him, you know. And, and of course, of course, it's, you know, it's Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, Sawyer. absolutely. Of course it is. Which when you kind of, you're going along with the storyline, sort of each time you, you get a, a script, you're sort of learning more as you're mentioning. But, but when we get to the man from Tallahassee, when we get to the brig and kind of it comes absolutely at you all of a sudden that, yes, you are the one that essentially is responsible for Sawyer's death. Had you clued into this at all? Was this all complete shock for you? And what was your take on that when you read that was the big plot twist? That's why you're on the island and all of a sudden you're about to get killed by someone that's not Locke. Well, that sequence uh, in the episode before that where I'm talking about Tallahassee and about that highway, remember that? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a monologue in there. And um, that monologue had a lot of truth in it. I mean, as an actor, I, I you know I loved the, the the writing and I liked the depth in it. But I, I was able to enter into that fully, and uh, and emotionally, you know, filled it up. Uh, that the depth of that led me to the de- to a place where I could take that depth and apply it in a different way on the island when when I'm you know in my final scenes with with Sawyer and even with Ben there on the you know before we, we went lashed to the column um, uh, that he would care enough to to have that that slight monologue that um that it could be invested with more than just information, um, I think lends itself to that credibility of that of whatever might fly once we get to the to the brig, which and to the last scene, which again in itself, like I mean, plenty of roles you, you've played, you, you you get killed, you die. It's an act, an acting thing. You've got to do it eventually at some point. But the way that goes about, I mean. Is there what what is it like as an actor to try and portray someone who's getting killed, Kevin? Oh, that's probably an odd question, but like, do you go? How do you go into a moment like that where you know you're getting killed and you're getting brutally murdered? This isn't just a bang, you're dead. You're getting choked to death. You are you are going out in a pretty graphic way. How how is that as an actor in that exact moment when you're doing that? Well, um, 
it's a little different for each thing. And what comes to me right away is in cold blood. I, I, we did, I did a televised version of it where it was uh, in the Capote uh, book. Uh, it was more the farmer's point of view is the, you know, the first, uh, first one was directed by, uh, oh, gee, um, I'll think of it here in a minute, but uh, you know, in cold blood, the, the first one, was from the killer's point of view and you know and this one was more that i did was more from the uh uh the farmers the the man who and his family who were killed point of view and and gosh it was so the vulnerability of of i know we're discussing loss here i'll get to it in a second but the vulnerability of being a character that's in his pajamas all the way watching his family you know, killed, brutally killed, and then himself killed. I, I felt an incredible amount of vulnerability. At one point, uh, Eric Roberts grabs me by the hair and pulls me back. And my God, it was just, you know, it was like I was going through that. When I take that kind of death and I go there to the death I had with Sawyer, with Sawyer, I I was, dare, let's go go as far as you want. Go as far as you want. You know, in a, way, in a way, I was enjoying the, the, the killing as if it couldn't kill me and didn't. I end up, you know, in a, you know, in a home without just staring straight ahead, completely, you know, canceled from life. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, as opposed to Mate One, where I was shot, you know, against some sheets by, by the, the, the a woman at the end of the uh, film, um, you know, I've, I've, when you play the heavy, you die a lot. Do you I keep track? Had... Do you keep sort of a tally? Like I've died 28 times, been shot, <laughs> choked. And do you, do you remember <laughs> what ways you've died and try and think, Hey, can you, I, I want to, I'm going to die in this film, but can you maybe, I've never been killed by getting hit by a car or something like that. Give me something new. <laughs> no, no, I should, but I've been killed in quite a few films. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but those the, the, the actually the one with Sawyer comes to immediately to mind that that uh, that slow, very physical, almost sensual death. How is that when they yell "cut"? Then, like you've gone through this intensity. Hopefully, they get it in one take. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's other ways they go about it, but like, do you just all of a sudden look up at Josh and have a bit of a laugh? Go, oh, good job, mate! You killed me well, and go and have a beer or something afterwards. Um, well, I didn't know him, the actor who played, I didn't know Sawyer. Uh, so I didn't, we didn't, that was interesting because I knew of him and, you know, of course, he was an interesting, very interesting character. Um, so there was an image of him I had. And at the end, you know, after we did the scene, we felt very good about it, you know, come in for coverage and all of that. I mean, part of the, the trick of being, uh, a film actor, particularly uh, film and t- more than TV, just because you've got to do things over and over and over. You've got the luxury of uh, a little more time and a little more money. And so, you know, the trick of acting is being able to go on to the seventh or eighth take of something and maybe even more depending on the angles and, and be able to do it not, not, not just the same way, but with the same intent. So that many times when someone's editing the cutter can, you know, you, you'll have a, 
there'll be a variety of things to look at. You're not just doing it over and over again the same way. Every time I try to work, I try to do just a little bit different, just something different so that it keeps the truth in it. And yet, you know, it can all work in separate cuts. It all seems part of the same performance. Which getting choked to death kind of, you know, you might only be able to get in one or two takes. I don't know if you got seven or eight takes on that one. (laughs) Yeah. um, Sometimes, you know, I think people look at acting like you get, they give out awards and it's usually for acting that they can see. It's for, you know, someone who plays a, a handicapped person or a, um, a person that's, you know, some eccentricity that they may have. Uh, they're, they're able to watch it and they'll be able to see, yes, he's acting on a wonderful actor. But a lot of really fine acting is just very subtle. Mm. You know, it's very simple and it's elegant. You know, it's uh, it's beautiful to watch. In Silence of the Lambs, watching. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Anthony Hopkins. What did he only have like thirty minutes on screen or something, and he won an Oscar for it? I mean, it's still a record, I believe. Is it not? <laughs> Frighteningly good. Yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, uh, it's, that's a great way of looking at it too, because the things that I think you were very lucky, Kevin, on all your episodes of Lost. I mean, you were. You were with some of the best actors on the show, and this is a show with really good actors. But I mean, we mentioned Terry, of course. You know, Michael Emerson. I just mentioned Josh Holloway. I mean, gosh, you you got to uh, you got to act alongside some of the the creme de la creme on Lost. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, which must then again working with people like this kind of you know, bring out the best in you as well. Not that you're not already bringing out your best, but it's sort of when you're working with with these actors who are just bringing something extra, you're bringing something extra. But, I mean, it's just kind of like this clash of titans where all of a sudden, boom, there's just all this acting going on that just really creates some absolute television magic. Yeah, well, that's the way way it's supposed to work. And, you know, when it's good, it it does work that way. I've had lots of times when it's been good. So, yeah, a lot of good actors. Were uh, you satisfied with the conclusion for the storyline? I mean, as we sort of mentioned, you were kind of brought back uh, in a later season sort of in this Flash Sideways storyline, but just in terms of the the canon storyline that we had in the normal timeline of Lost, were, were you satisfied with how all that turned out for your character? Well, the only thing I wasn't satisfied with, but it's a very, you know, I think any actor would feel this way, is that I was hoping that something else would happen in the final, that there would be, he'd go out, no, you know, uh, it really was, he didn't go out with a bang, but a whimper. It was a very, uh, I understand why they did it, and it works felt well for the character, but I would have, uh, uh, I don't know, I would have, I don't know what else they could have done. I mean, I, I, as it was, I, I thought it was pretty miraculous that, you know, I, I got to ha- employ as much depth as I did on the show with only, you know, six episodes. Um, um, I don't know how else I would have ended it, but, you know, just to the little more, just a little more, um, maybe a flashback or something. I don't know. But it worked fine the way it did, and you know you can't. Uh, and they know what they're doing. They know they've got you know they're going to juggle all of those characters and and come up with a story. And uh, if you know it, it attests to the 
to the good job that they've done that there is so much interest and continues to be in the show. So, Which I can imagine too, you know, you said people to this day will still kind of recognize you from that role on Lost. What was it like when it was airing? Because Lost was, you know, one of the biggest shows in TV at the time it was on. It's it's still regarded as one of the, the biggest TV shows of all time. I mean, I can imagine just generally getting recognized that the fans are maybe a little bit different than they were sort of when you were back on emergency. I mean, kind of what was that fan experience like when the show was airing? Well, you know, what I think of first is I went on, it was, it was the next thing I did after that, or one of the episodes I went, I think it was the second episode. I uh, went on and did a uh, uh, law and order in New York and I came in on, uh, you know, my first day, and, and I went to my dressing room, and on the door was Anthony Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh! You know, wow! Uh, you know, recognition from a fellow show. You know, uh, that was my first, and then you know, after I got quite a bit of recognition, uh, you know, people recognizing me, and, and then it kind of goes, you know, it kind of goes up, and then after a while, when the show ends and it starts, things start to taper down, I still get, you know, I get recognized fairly regularly. I'm kind of surprised. I, uh, for, I, I look so different, and it's been so long ago, but, you know, these things just continue to go on, and people continue to be entertained, and that's what it's all about. It was a bit in the conversation recently because it was the 10th anniversary of the final episode in 2020. But I also think too, Kevin, I mean, you're definitely one of those actors where you see you, like you're watching Lost or you're watching something and you're like, hey, I know him from something. So you quickly jump online and you play the whole six degrees of separation thing. Oh, there he goes. Yeah, it was in that show. It was in that show. It was in that movie. That movie. Because I was, when I was going through in the preparation for this interview and looking at your filmography, uh, one movie that stood out for me, uh, a random movie from my childhood, Race the Sun, which I don't know if that's ever been brought up to you before, Kevin, in an interview, but I love that movie as a kid. I used to watch it all the time. Oh, I had such a good time with that. I mean, because the history of, I, I fell in love with Australia and uh, we filmed, you know, we were in Sydney and location and then we were in Broken Hill and, uh, you know, the Outback and the Outback particularly. And I was there for a month and I had, I, you know, I had a lot of days off and I didn't work. And I went out one evening with the makeup crew or no, the wardrobe crew from uh, the show and and we had an actor, and I forget his name. Uh, he was he was an Australian wonderful actor, a character actor. And I said, "My gosh, he's an awfully good actor." And I said, "So have you you've not seen this work before?" I said, "No." And they were, turned me on to all of these films that were done in the fifties in Australia, and just because of distribution, from you know, we never got to really see them in the states. And my God, just lots of just extraordinary performances. You know, I mean, really a very viable. Uh, crop of, of films uh, made in Australia that, you know, very few people, you know, people have been able to see them. And uh, it was a real plus for me. Yeah. Well, you might be talking about Bill Hunter there, a very esteemed Australian actor uh, who sadly no longer with us, but no, he's a great actor. But I mean, the cast of Racist Sun, this is, this is one of those movies I feel that I think a lot of people 
don't remember, even though they've all seen it. Because, I mean, Halle Berry was in this movie, you know, Jim Belushi, Casey Affleck, Eliza Dushku. One of, a big connection to us on this show. We we cover another TV show on this uh, podcast called Third Watch. And Anthony Rivavar was very young in Race the Sun, but uh, he obviously one of the main stars of Third Watch. So big names. And people who may be not familiar with it, it was basically about a, a real-life race that they have in the outback where it's sort of solar cars, essentially. And a lot of that, too, was in Hawaii at the beginning as well, wasn't it? So... Uh, you know, connections Hawaii. Hawaii seems like a place you need to go more, Kevin. You you seem to be drawn there a lot in your acting. When we were doing uh, Race the Sun, I was doing Murder One in uh, in uh, L- L.A., and I was having to go back and forth. And during that time, I was supposed to do um, a film with John Sayles, uh, and I I I got sick. I got the flu, and I just couldn't. You know, I couldn't not stop doing Murder One, and then I and I was still doing Race the Sun, and so I ended up not being able to do the film with John that I really wanted to do, and um, and also at that time my mother was ill, and as it later turned out she had cancer, but uh, so much was going on, and I got so sick, and I remember doing a scene with Hallie, and uh, uh, I was feeling so badly inside, but she was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and a beautiful actress, uh, you know, I, um, I had a wonderful time on the film, even though I had a few weeks of having the flu. It was, it was a delightful experience. It's a, it's a movie I feel we need to cover on this podcast as a sort of a, a random rewatch at some point because, yeah, it's, 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 it's very odd. It's definitely a film that all of a sudden I go, oh, I really, really love that movie and it's been a long time since I've, uh, I've actually seen it. But, I mean, outside of that, Kevin, I mean, you've had an amazing career as I you know, mentioned some of the other shows and all that you've worked on. Where, where does, I don't know if you like to rank where you sort of your career, but where would Lost rank, I guess, on, on all the things you've done? I mean, is it one of your highlights of your career that you've been involved in a show? like that i think so yeah i think it's the character that that uh, there were there are a few that, that i'm really proud of uh may one and then the in cold blood i did then um um roadhouse because <laughs> you know, mentioned roadhouse because it, it it's it's odd to me that a movie that just seems so kind of like you know a, 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 a a piece of entertainment, but you know, it's, I've got a lot of recognition from that. seems a lot of people find that to be a show they really like. And it's a little extended, you know, the, the, um, the style of it, but again, was a lot of fun to do. I, but I'd say that of the quality that mate one and, uh, I know I'm missing a couple there and, and, and lost. And, yeah. And freaks and freaks and geeks was a good show. Uh, a very good show. Definitely some of these ones that you, you've appeared in, like obviously have kind of like these these strong cult fan bases really as well, which I think kind of adds no doubt to that part we're talking about you getting recognised. I mean, I can imagine sort of, you know, yeah, doing a film like Roadhouse. I mean, Patrick Swayze in peak Patrick Swayzeville. Uh, I mean, you know, you're going to... We did Newsies. Uh, Newsies had a fo- falling a, a, a cult with young girls, you know, because of the young men that were in it. And I had a wonderful time on that show, and it was a wonderful character. Um, they, they didn't push it. They kind of, Disney, when it was released, it just kind of, they didn't really like, you know, push, push it like they could have. But 
it's slowly developed kind of a following. And by gosh, there it is on uh, Broadway or has been, um, you know, as it made into a Broadway show. I never did get to see it. But I, I asked about is Snyder in the Broadway show. I said, yeah, he's in there. <laughs> they didn't quite give you that phone call to get you, you know, return to the character or anything quite like that. <laughs> I did a, uh, well, yeah. And I'm going on and on here, but uh, she, no, go ahead, please go ahead. Oh, I remember doing this. Uh, it was a film, Geronimo, uh, uh, which I just loved working. I had always loved westerns, so the idea of I've done it, done a few of them, but that was one where I I got to do this address in front of the entire. It was like all of the soldiers were there, and all of the uh, Apache. Uh, Scouts were there. There was about 300 people, and I come out and I give this wonderful speech, and I, I ended up with, and, and I just want to thank you all, you know, to be a part of the United States Cavalry. And uh, I finished this the sequence, and the director comes up, Walter Hill, and he goes, "Cavalry." <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fortunately, we didn't have to do the whole thing again. One of those ones where you're like, come on, can't we just change it just a little bit? Like, they'll know what I mean, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Kevin, do you have anything in the pipeline at the moment? Kind of obviously a little bit of a difficult situation currently right now with the pandemic going on, yeah. but uh, is there anything sort of lined up that we should keep an eye out for? Not much now. No, it's been a uh, been pretty. It's very very quiet. I've actually been writing some plays, so you know I go back to that, and that's mostly what I've been doing now is writing. And yeah. is that like a whole different experience, clearly to to acting? But is that something that you've always done? You've always wanted to do a little bit more of, kind of you know the writing side of things. Always wanted to do a little more of it. You know, part of it uh, you have to be careful because part of it is at least with me, is acting, you know, instead of writing, the act, actual activity of writing, you can, as an actor, want to be a writer, but you've got to be careful to, to recognize that sometimes you're acting being a writer <laughs> rather than being a writer. So uh, I find writing plays to be very humbling, and uh, but I continue doing it. Well, it's it great. Satisfaction. I can imagine sort of, you know, numerous times in your career when you, you're reading a script, you're probably thinking, oh, gosh, this is how I would do it or this should be done this way, this way. And now all of a sudden you're in that chair, you might have actors kind of doing the same to you and you're going, listen, listen, I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> we did a, uh, did a film, uh, Law and Order, called The Avatar, and, uh, which was one of the roles I really liked uh, doing uh, but it was it was when you're working on that show, you're working with a lot of playwrights, a lot of young playwrights, and boy, you get some good scripts. And that particular one, uh, Law and Order: The Lavatar, was a wonderful script. Of, of, you know, an odd, very strange, dark guy that that um, you know people. He's he he to me was very vulnerable, but but also uh, an outcast. Um, they're, they're interesting to play outcasts. I can imagine. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's always more fun to play also the bad guy, is it? I should mention that as an actor. Like, I mean, that's true, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great to, 
you know, you don't have the pressure of being the leading man of, you know, having to be in all the scenes. You just come in and you're just generally a pain in the ass to everybody. Yeah. And, then you, <laughs> and you get to die in a cool way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who cares about being brooding and attractive and Patrick Swayze-esque? You just want to come in and be a dick and get killed and get your paycheck <laughs> right. and go on to the next show. Exactly. <laughs> That's what every actor should strive for. Kevin, it has been a lot of fun chatting with you on the show today. I'm so glad that we could get you on here to chat about Lost and, and your career as well. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye out on uh, on for yourself in the future with, you, with your writing and everything else along those lines. And uh, I think I speak on behalf of every single Lost fan out there. Thank you for bringing such a great character as Anthony Cooper to life on our screens for all those years. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. And a big pleasure to chat to Kevin there. A lot of fun and an absolute pleasure to be able to chat with him. So a big thanks to him for joining us and a thanks to his, of course, management for arranging that chat with us. If you've missed our other couple of interviews that we've done in the last few weeks, of course, Eva LaRue appeared on Third Watch for a few episodes and, of course, currently uh, about to win an Emmy. I'm just going to say it right now for her role on The Young and the Restless. And, of course, Rebecca Metz talking about her time on Nip Tuck. We've played those in the last few weeks. You can still get them available now where you subscribe to our podcast of course which you'll hear about in just a few moments at the very end of this episode outside of these interviews of course we do have our regular movie recap coverage anniversary month has just drawn to a close but renee russo month is about to happen get excited total drama island is also happening as well and we may have some other interviews in the pipeline just stay tuned and when we do have them you will see them and you will listen to them because that's generally how these work thanks again to kevin and thanks again for you for listening. My name is Ben. This has been the Oz Network, and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the oznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.